following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome back to the Hardwood Homies NBA Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Jackson Hoy, and today I'm joined in studio by Cesar Smokowski. How's it going, Cesar? Man, I'm doing great. Having a fantastic week so far. Thanks, everybody, for tuning back in to the hottest podcast in the world, Hardwood Homies. And, man, today we've got something big for you. We're going into the Matrix. We're cracking the code to basketball. Yeah, that's right. Man, we're bringing up all the stats and stuff. Yeah, today we are doing statistical indicators. So a little background on this. So I've been doing some research for a while, uh, looking at past drafts uh, since uh, the 2011 draft, which is the first on the sports reference database where you really have a lot of advanced stats for prospects. And basically you've been trying to figure out which stats are the strongest in figuring out who's going to be a good player for those positions. And I've been running regressions, doing all sorts of stuff with these statistics. And what we've come away with are a few statistics by each position that you can use to evaluate guys and say, okay, what if they stand out in these statistics, they're likely going to be a good player at the NBA level using the, these sets of indicators. Because uh, I do have some models in place, but it's hard to do models because you have such a small sample size of just the past six drafts. But using these indicators that, you know, the stat, the statistics, the regressions will tell you, oh, this is something that definitely affects the success of a player at the NBA level stats-wise. That's something that's really important, and looking at the guys in this class with those indicators is a real way to unearth some things about these guys. So before we get started, just wanted to clear up, you know, what, what we're doing today, what these stats mean, and, you know, we'll try, to, we'll try to take it slow, try to explain what some of these stats are in case some of them are confusing, and try to explain why we think they do lead to success, because I think that's an important part, is, uh, you know, not just looking at the data and blindly trusting it, but poking at it and saying, you know, why does this affect player success? Why does this decide if a guy's going to be good at the next level? Cesar, you have anything else before we want to get started? No, man. I'm sure all of you understand stats, and we're excited to bring you some new perspectives about the game, and we're certainly interested in all that stuff, but it may not be the sexiest, but it'll be very interesting to see what guys we're uh, looking at today. Yeah, so... What we're going to start out doing is running through each of the positions and which stats matter for those positions because, you know, there's not one stat that transcends all positions. For each different spot, there are different stats that affect success. And so we're going to start with big men. So the best ones for big men, uh, the biggest one by far is defensive box plus minus. Um, this is a stat you've heard me say on the show many times, I'm sure, and there's a reason for it. It's because it is a really big indicator of future success at the NBA level. Uh, the way that I determine success at the NBA level, by the way, if you're wondering, it's not you know points per game or whatever. Uh, it's a combination of win shares, value over replacement player, and box plus minus. I've sort of used those three stats as the test stats for value at the NBA level. So those are the three ones. That's what the definition of success is, not the definition of, uh, you know, can a guy put up 25 a night? But usually a guy who can is going to put up good advanced stats as well. So defensive box plus minus first for big men. Overall box plus minus, another big one. Two-point makes and two-point percentage, big ones for big guys. Win shares and defensive win shares. Uh, overall good rebounding numbers. And actually an interesting one for 
true big men, uh, we'll get into your Draymond Greens in a little bit, but for your sort of true big men types, uh, lower assist numbers are actually better. I don't, I don't know, this could be some noise in the fact that this is sort of a smaller sample just dealing with the past few drafts, but that is something that's came about is that big men with lower assist numbers actually end up performing better at the NBA level. So we'll get into which big men in this year's class you know, this really applies to, which guys this stands out for. And we'll start out first with Jaron Jackson Jr. So he doesn't he isn't perfect by these metrics, but he's pretty pr- pretty damn good. He's rebounding and two point percentage are a little worrisome. You know, he's shooting below sixty percent on two pointers, which is sort of a you know type of Mendoza line for big men. Uh, not really Mendoza line, like a, a check mark line more than anything. And he's he's shooting pretty low on his two point shots, which is pretty concerning for a guy who's standing six foot ten, seven seven four wingspan, a guy who you're projecting to play the center spot and. Yeah, just 54% on twos this year. And the fact that he's just picking up 11.5 rebounds, 15.6 total rebound percentage, you know, those aren't bad numbers, but they're not quite elite. But overall, Jaron Jackson Jr. stands out really well in this. His defensive box plus minus, obviously elite, 11.7, 16.2 overall box plus minus, uh, 2.5 win shares despite playing just about 23 minutes a game, along with 1.4 of those coming on the defensive end. So he's really checking most all these boxes that you look for in a big man prospect on the statistical side. And he's been a guy who's really impressed so far this year and the stats back it up. Yeah, Jaron Jackson Jr. has been one of the super uh, talented big man that these stats love and really support being a top five player in this draft. You can see it throughout his impact at Michigan State. Having a fantastic defense of blocks plus minus of 11.7. Also has the defensive win shares to support that conclusion. So he does a lot of things well that these stats just reinforce. As we've said, a great rebounder, a great shooter from outside. So there's nothing new here, but it certainly shows that he's very valuable and will be a very good player as he transitions to that next level. Yeah, we're next guy, Mohamed Bamba. Again, pretty good numbers for him. He has a few red flags overall. He's his two point percentage, like Jaron Jackson Jr., a little bit worrisome. That's pretty low for him. Uh, I think it's around fifty seven percent off the top of my head. Let me double check that. No, it's yeah, fifty seven percent for him. But the defensive box plus minus eleven point two, box plus minus much lower than Jaron Jackson, just ten point nine because he's not making as much as of an offensive impact. The win shares are a little worrisome, just two point two this season, despite him playing you know a pretty large minute load, uh, almost thirty minutes a game for that Texas squad. So. The win shares thing is something to track, but other than that, he's rebounding at really great levels. He's a, you know, the two point numbers are better than Jaron Jackson's. His passing is low, which is how it's supposed to be. I'm not sure that that's actually a, a true indicator of future successes, not having good assist numbers, but that is something that comes up in the case of Bamba. He fits, he fits the mold for what you're looking for with these stats. Yeah, Bamba exactly meets all the criteria that you're talking about with a defensive-minded big man, and that's obviously something that you look for in center success down the line. You want a guy to be the anchor of your defense, and that's exactly what Mohamed Bamba has been able to do, averaging six blocks per 40 minutes as well as 14 rebounds, all great numbers, and have just shown that he has that profound impact on defense. As we've said, Jackson has pointed out before that his offensive impact isn't as great as a lot of these other guys as that skill set isn't as refined yet. But the two-point percentage, you can look at that just because he doesn't get as many high percentage looks from outside or isn't as refined in his shooting. But he does have a good offensive skill set. But hopefully as he progresses, those stats will continue to support his growth. 
yeah, the next guy that we're going to talk about, we're going to kind of run through this pretty quick because we're going to try to get to guys at every position. So we're not going to spend too long talking on most of these guys. But next guy is DeAndre Ayton. And the thing about DeAndre Ayton that's really interesting is he's great across the board. You know, he's checking off the boxes, great win shares numbers, elite rebounding, elite two-point shooting, elite two-point volume, all these great things, except defensive box plus minus, the most important one, 3.2. That's a really bad number. You want to look back uh, on these past college big men who've gone on to the NBA. Uh, of college big men who've played to their third year in the NBA, um, I think this is sorted by a uh, value over replacement player. No, it's not, sorry. But of college big men who have gone on to play in the NBA, um, the best with a defensive box plus minus uh, under four, that would be Miles Plumley. So not a great guy. The best guy in his third year who came out with a defensive box plus minus under four, that's pretty terrible. This, so you're looking at these guys, these defensive box plus minus under four, that's kind of a benchmark that you're looking at. And if Aiton's not able to hit that, it's pretty difficult to project him statistically, even though the rest of his profile is so great. Personally, I think he's going to be fine. I'm not too worried about it. I think he can break the trend. But looking on the trend and looking at the past guys who've came up with this, I mean, you're looking at the range of Dwight Powell's, Nikola Vucevic, Kelly Olenek, these types of guys who aren't really defensive impactors at the NBA level. Uh, Aiden, I think, is going to be able to do that. And, you know, you look at a guy like Andre Drummond who posted at something like a 5.7 defensive box plus minus if, when he was in college. You know, maybe Aiton can get that number up close to what Drummond had. I don't think it's going to be that big of a problem for Aiton, but it is interesting that the most important indicator he's doing pretty poorly in. Yeah, Aiden has been a little bit of a disappointment in terms of his defensive impact at Arizona in his only season there. We're talking about a guy who's 7'1", 250, has a huge muscular body but doesn't protect the rim like Mohamed Bomb and some of these other more elite rim protectors. But he has all the skills, so hopefully, while the stats don't support that he can be a fantastic a defender right now I'm sure he has all the ability and talent to do it in the future as you know he gets to the NBA and will hopefully be able to foster that skill yeah I mean you look at a guy like Andre Drummond 5.3 defensive box plus minus when he was in college not a far cry from what Aiden has and that's a stat that can fluctuate pretty quickly Aiden could probably get it close to that number by the end of the season Drummond's now one of the best defensive players in the NBA so I'm not too worried about Aiden getting it up but it is you know something worth discussing worth talking about next up Wendell Carter Jr. Um, this is a guy who's really graded out well in terms of this his uh, extremely good across the board in terms of all these indicators that you're looking at just everything the two-point percentage the defensive box plus minus is an elite it's 5.5 which is you know that Drummond range which is still pretty good I mean not not terrible but uh, not the elite levels of Bomba or Jackson or whatever the rebounding number is really great for him the two-point volume and percentage 62 percent on two-point shots um, not super high assist numbers either which you know again I don't know how much stocks put into that but Wendell Carter Jr. really grades out well in terms of this and that's part of why I stuck him at number 10 on my latest big board update because I think Wendell Carter Jr. is just going to be a really solid big man in the NBA and he really you know checks off all these boxes that you want to see He's got the win shares. He's got the defensive box plus minus. He's doing everything pretty well for that Duke squad. Yeah, Wendell Carter Jr. has been making a really incredible impact across the board as we've shown with the stats. That's why advanced stats love a guy like that so much. You can just see everything that he does to help improve that uh, that Duke offense and defense and get better looks for his teammates. So he does so many good things. He's a great passer, and those rebounding numbers are very good for him. He has that good defensive box as minus. He can certainly improve in that area. Everybody has growth, but he's just put up great stats across the board, which shows him why he's one of those Al Horford type, incredibly valuable guys. 
Yeah, next up, Jonte Porter, another guy who I've moved up into that lottery range, had him 13th on my latest board. He's kind of got some red flags on his profile because, you know, the two-point percentage for him is really low, just 50% on twos this season, and his win shares aren't great, which, again, that's a product of him playing not very many minutes. I think that that's why it's hard using, like, a cumulative stat like win shares in some of these projections because it doesn't account for guys who are playing fewer minutes like Porter, but that is something that's came up for him. And then the assist numbers, he's posting pretty high assist numbers, but I'm not going to really read into that at all. I don't think that that's actually something that would actually be a knock against him. But the defensive box plus minus for him is great, along with the rebounding numbers. He's really great in those two areas, and those are two huge areas for a big man. I'd probably guess that those are the two biggest uh, indicators of future success, along with, I think, win shares. And on a permanent basis, Porter's doing pretty well in terms of that. So he's got a pretty good statistical profile, too. I don't think there's any red flags with him. He's, he's looking pretty good across the board. Plus, he's got the shooting, which isn't really factored in for big men, but that's something that's pretty huge. 36% from three, 84% from the line. Those are some pretty great numbers. Yeah, Jonte has been the biggest surprise for me from that Missouri squad as MPJ went down. And he's been really fantastic so far, impacting the game on both ends of the floor. That defensive box plus minus has really standed, stand out. He's not your traditional rim protector like Muhammad Bamba, but he makes an impact all the same. He's really efficient on that end. And on offense, while his two-point uh, his two-point numbers aren't great, just 50%, he is hitting a good amount of his threes and on high volume. So he's looked good in his lim- limited minutes, and it'll be interesting to see how he can progress as stats have loved him so far, and hopefully he can make a big impact at the next level. Yeah, another thing with Jonte is, like you said, not really a traditional rim protector. He's really kind of a weird player. I've described it in the past before where he gets blocks in all these non-traditional ways. It's out of post-ups or it's out of the weak side. Some He, he finds ways to get blocks, though. He's got a 10.4 block percentage. He just finds a way to be impactful on the defensive end. He moves around a lot. He's really kind of switchable. So I really love what Jonte Porter does. I, I'm really starting to get high on him, especially considering that he's arguably the youngest guy in this class that's likely to get drafted. I don't think Chris Smith is really a, in, in contention to get drafted at this point, but he's another guy who's really young. Next up, Robert Williams from Texas A&M. This is a guy who's kind of got some red flags on his radar. The DBPM for him obviously is elite. Uh, I think it's 11.5 right now, which is an absolutely amazing number for any bond. But outside of that, his win share numbers are really low because he hasn't been playing and he's kind of been, you know, stuck out of the rotation sometimes, not really gotten in the flow for Texas A&M yet. He's had the suspension and then the sickness. But for him, the rebounding numbers are really elite. He's got the pretty low passing numbers, but win share numbers for him, are pretty low. That is something that's a little bit concerning. The two-point numbers aren't elite, just around 58% on some pretty good volume, so that's good, but it's kind of weird that he's shooting such a low percent when he is kind of just mostly a dive guy. So I don't know what to make of Williams. I've kind of been souring on him a little bit. I dropped him to 14th on my latest board update, but I still think he's got an generally good statistical profile yeah Robert Williams as you're looking for that defensive big man a guy that can really shoot block shots and will move to the perimeter and guard you know one through five he profiles as that guy that really want has that great defensive impact and that's what his defensive blocks plus minus has been supporting that 11 is a really good sign for him but there are questions about his offensive game same as last year he doesn't have that jump shot that Mohamed Bomber or Jaron Jackson Jr. 
have and his two-point numbers have regressed a little bit so hopefully once he's gotten over finally gotten over that sickness and has returned to play he can up his usage and be a more efficient offense but that Texas A&M squad could really use him on offense as that jolt that they really need but it'll be interesting to see how he can progress offensively now. Yeah, we're recording this uh, Tuesday afternoon, and it's announced that Williams is supposed to play tonight against Kentucky, so that's a good sign for him. Next up, Daniel Gafford, and then we'll have one more guy after him, and then we'll kind of be finishing up with these big guys. Daniel Gafford, pretty great. He's checking pretty much every box you're looking for. Um, His box plus minus isn't really elite, uh, a little under 10, and his win shares are kind of low, which, again, due to not playing many minutes, but he, he other than that, he's doing pretty well. He's got a great two-point percentage. He's rebounding really well. His assist numbers, nice and low, just like you like him with the indicators. And then he's got the defensive box plus minus, something around six, which, again, isn't elite, but pretty good. I've really liked Gafford in the film I've watched of him. Just really explosive and long, the type of guy who can, you know, maybe be a Clint Capella type in the future if he develops well. So I really like Daniel Gafford. Uh, No red flags for him. He kind of checks all these boxes, even though his box plus minus and win shares aren't really in the elite territory. Yeah, Daniel Gafford has been a big surprise and is something very positive for that Arkansas squad. A really elite rebounder, 11 rebounds per 40 minutes, very good. And having a great defensive impact too, that 6.1 defensive blocks plus minus is a really good sign for a guy that can be the anchor for your defense. There are some red flags, you know, he has some good all-around play, but that free throw percentage is low. You know, that's not a criteria, but just, you know, something that you always look for, but He's certainly progressed as one year at Arkansas, but hopefully he'll be able to show some more things and continue this hot streak. Yeah, uh, we'll finish up. Ethan Happ, just a quick note on him. He doesn't really stand out in any of these areas, and he's got that really high assist percentage, which, again, that can be somewhat of a red flag. But you look at his profile last season, and he was rebounding really well. His defensive box plus minus was pretty great. I think he's kind of getting overstretched this season due to the fact that he's having to do literally everything for that Wisconsin team. So I think that's hurting his stats a little bit. But you look back to last season and at his statistical profile, he was really elite in a lot of these metrics. So I'm still not too worried about Ethan Happ, but I'm not quite ready to declare him, you know, a top 20, top 25 guy. Have him just outside that top 25. Um, I have kind of soured on Happ since the start of the season because I I think he's going to have some limitations at the NBA level. But at the same time, he does have a pretty good statistical profile. Lastly, we'll finish with a few other guys who stood out statistically that maybe aren't really top prospects yet, but who by by these measures really stand out. First up is Mike Watkins from Penn State, a guy who really stands out in these numbers. He's basically good across the board with all these. Um, a guy who's kind of older for a sophomore is going to be 22 before next year's draft, a redshirt sophomore. So he's a little old, but he's got a really good statistical profile as sort of a small ball five. Dante Hall, similar, much younger than Watkins, not even going to be 21 before next year's draft for Alabama. I've always been a huge Dante Hall fan. Uh, glad to see him pop up on here. He does everything pretty well too. Neither of those guys, you know, really elite, but I think both those guys are top 50 prospects on or they should be top 50 prospects or so and then three other guys who are you know probably deeper sleepers that stood out based on this Elijah Thomas from Clemson uh, transferred away from Texas A&M and is sort of filling the Robert Williams light role for that Clemson squad I Dean Peneva been getting some publicity for that Marshall team he's a guy who's really great in terms of win shares and defensive box plus minus because he's blocking so many shots and on top of that he's shooting from outside Peneva is definitely an interesting guy and lastly Matt Rafferty the mid-major Ethan Happ for Furman uh, although all those guys are pretty good, but they kind of lack real big man size at the next level, particularly Penova and Rafferty. But I thought I'd shout them out since they did stand out statistically. 
Yeah, well, the most interesting guy of that group for me has been Mike Watkins for that Penn State team. He's really looked good in his second season there, improving his defensive box plus minus and rebounding percentage. So he's looked good and has certainly made that next step that we hope for him, even though he is a little bit older. He's certainly been an interesting piece for that Penn State team now. Yeah, Watkins is definitely a guy to watch. I need to watch some more Penn State film, but I think between Tony Carr, Josh Reeves, who we'll talk about in a little bit, Mike Watkins. They've got three legit NBA prospects. Next up, we're moving on to forwards. So uh, this is sort of a you know a touchy group because there are some guys who could be classified as big men within this. Marvin Bagley is a big one. I recently reclassified Marvin Bagley from a big man to a forward, but it, you know it's all up to you what, whether what you see your positional classifications as. I personally do bigs, forwards, wings, and guards, but a lot of people do it differently. Uh, for bigs, these are the biggest indicators. First up is player efficiency rating. That's the biggest one. Player efficiency rating is a huge indicator of future success for big guys. Uh, second is actually, you know, not super high shooting numbers. Again, I don't know how, if this is a noisy stat or not, but guys who actually have lower shooting numbers on higher shooting volume is actually a good sign for them. So you don't want guys who've been not putting up a lot of shots. You want guys who've been putting up a lot of shots. So even if their shooting numbers are higher, I'm not going to, you know, put too much stock into that for a guy like Bagley as, as an example. But you want shooting volume, and so I think that the shooting volume creates the lower shooting numbers, and that's why that stands out. But I think that mostly has to do with the fact that you want to see guys who have shooting volume. You want guys with good defensive rating. You want guys who rebound well, and you want guys with passing volume. So assists and turnovers, both those things are good because it signifies guys who are having the ball in their hands who are making decisions, I think. So those are the ones with forwards, and we'll start out with Marvin Bagley. He's great on player efficiency rating, obviously. I think 33.5 right now. His rebounding's great too, and the volume's great for him too. His three-point shooting and passing volume, those are kind of suspect, but those are due to his role a little bit. And I've always been high on Bagley as a passer. We talked about that last week. I think that Bagley's going to be a pretty good passer in the long run. His shooting numbers, again, are a little high, but I'm not going to read into that. He has the volume, and if he can do the volume with the higher numbers, I think that's only better. I've been trending up on Bagley lately. I think that he's going to be a pretty big offensive weapon, and if he learns to shoot, it's going to be a huge uh, boon for him. I think he's going to be a pretty great player, and all these indicators for him at the forward spot are pretty promising. Yeah, Bagley has been a great statistical model for forwards this year. Has been a fantastic rebounder for that Duke team, using that athleticism in the right way. And along with his pa uh, excuse me, his rebounding, his passing has been underrated too. The numbers don't support it, but he's a very good passer as he's brought up the ball, uh, getting a rebound and bringing up the court a lot. That's been a standout skill for him, as well as being able to get that high efficiency and high volume volume on shots especially from outside he's been chucking them chucking them and that's great practice for him so he's looked good he certainly has the efficiency and per that you look for in guys but he'll have to improve some things his passing and his defensive blocks plus minus all those can improve as he grows and you know to make that next step but he's looked good so far for the blue devils yeah, noting uh, Bagley's defensive rating, not very good, good, but that's a product of Duke's team just kind of being a bad defensive team as a whole. Next up is Miles Bridges. This is a guy who hasn't really stood out in any of these areas. He's sub-elite but good on rebounding. His shooting numbers are decent. Uh, the volume's decent for him there. I guess, you know, it's pro probably pretty high volume for him on a shooter. I'm, I'll say he's high volume there. His passing volume has been, you know, pretty good. Nothing special, but it's definitely up from last season. His defensive rating's uh, pretty good. His player efficiency rating, pretty good. None of it's elite. He doesn't really, you know, super stand out in any of these indicator areas, but 
he's pretty good in all of them. And I think that's kind of, you know, the definition with Miles Bridges is he's not really standing out in any one area. He's not showing you, oh, this is what I'm going to be really good at. He's been just eh, pretty good this season. He's kind of been left behind as these top nine have solidified themselves as the top nine prospects in this year's draft. You know, you look at Doncic, Aiton Young, Porter Jr., Jackson Jr., Bagley, Bamba, Sexton, and Mikael Bridges. Those are sort of your top nine. And Miles Bridges kind of gotten left behind outside of that. But I still have him number 11. He's just sort of the, the classic good, not great type prospect. Yeah, Miles Bridges has been a across-the-board good, a very valuable contributor for that Michigan State team. Has been uh, required to take a lot of the offensive load. Obviously, the big star there with Jaron Jackson Jr. And that's been a product of why we've seen him good in so many facets so far. He's been able to rebound pretty well for a forward and does so many things well. But it'll be interesting and hopefully can find that standout skill pretty soon yeah next up Keita Bates Diop who currently my favorite for the Big Ten player of the year he's been amazing so far this season and I just recently moved him up to number 16 on my board because he shredded Michigan State led Ohio State to that upset win he really checks all these boxes that you're looking for for forward he's great in all these areas he has an elite player efficiency rating almost 30 great rebounding numbers great three-point numbers a great defensive rating especially considering the team that he's playing for He's got good volume as a shooter. His only slight red flags are higher higher shooting numbers, which again, I don't think that that's something to read into. I think that just means that he's good and it just means that it's a better sign for him that he has those high shooting numbers with the volume and his low passing volume. He doesn't have super high passing volume, but outside of that, he's doing really well in all these areas and player efficiency rating and rebounding. Those are the two biggest ones for forwards. He's doing great in both those areas. Yeah, Bates Diop has been the standout for Ohio State this year and has looked really good as they pulled off some big wins, obviously against Michigan State. He profiles as a really great across-the-board contributor, has really improved his efficiency from outside on higher volume this year, and is being able to contribute in other ways outside of scoring, using that massive wingspan to be a very valuable defender and just doing so many things to help that Ohio State team get off to a hotter start than many expected them to so he's been great so far yeah Kate Bates Diop definitely go watch him if you haven't seen him yet so so far it's kind of seemed like we've been talking about these guys and saying oh they're all doing pretty well you know there's been some guys who've done better than others in terms of this and we haven't really gone out and said this guy's straight up bad in terms of this but we're going to do that now and this is Kevin Knox there are some big red flags in Kevin Knox's statistical profile his player efficiency rating is terrible below 15 which is supposed to be the average player he's not even above average in that his rebounding has been pretty poor for a guy his size. His three-point shooting is low. His defensive rating is just straight-up bad. And his volume as a shooter and passer are both pretty low. So a lot of red flags for Kevin Knox in his statistical profile. And I think some of that has to do with the inconsistency with his role in Kentucky and the fact that he's still a freshman, obviously. But you look at some of these other freshmen who are succeeding more quickly, and you have to kind of knock Knox a little bit and say, you know, these, these, def these indicators definitely aren't making him look good, and these look like he does have a problem with this. Well, Kevin Knox hasn't exactly been the offensive juggernaut and no go-to number one option for that Kentucky team that we thought he would be. He's been very good, uh, off, obviously an offensive star, but the advanced stats show... I don't show, know. I don't think he's really been a star so far. He's been pretty inefficient. That's and, true. I'm talking about just, you know, giving him the ball, and that's part of, you know, his high... Uh, I his, think, I mean, I think he has the tools, but right now the stats are pretty problematic for him, and the fact that... 
there's always been a question with Knox. He's, he'll float sometimes, and he's not going to go out and really give you a ton of effort. And I think that you're kind of seeing that right now. That's true. He has all the skills, but it's just a matter of whether he can put those to use and actually be able to convert uh, his offensive possessions at a high, uh, higher efficiency. So that's a big question for him. And being able to contribute to that Kentucky team in other ways, be able to rebound better would be a great sign for him. And that PER will obviously need to be something that he improves on to be able to work his way into that more elite company. Yeah. Next up, Killian Tilly, another guy who could kind of swing between those big man or forward spots like Marvin Bagley. But I'm going with him as a forward just because I think he's a little skinny to be really a true big man at the NBA level. His player efficiency rating is pretty good. His rebounding numbers are good. His three-point shooting is really good. His defensive rating is pretty good. He's got nice on he's got nice shooting volume and passing volume. Nothing really elite with him, but it's all pretty good. So I'd say Killian Tilly. It all looks good for him. Next up, Bonzi Colson, Notre Dame senior. This is a guy who really stands out in terms of the stats. He's got an elite player efficiency rating. His rebounding's been great. His three-point percentage hasn't been great, but his volume's been up from last year, which is good. His defensive rating's good. The volume overall for him is nice. He definitely has overall good projections. The plus defensive box plus minus and win shares are also good because Colson's a guy some people envision. Maybe play some small ball five. The fact that he has that high defensive box plus minus and win shares are good for that. The problem with Bonte Colson is he's out for two months with a foot injury. So that's a huge question for him. He's not getting to show this in ACC play against a lot of elite competition, which is something that really sucks because I'd love to see Colson doing this because the statistical profile for him is great. You know, people are saying, oh, he's the next Draymond Green. He might not be that, but the stats are really high on him. So I really would like to see Colson playing, but it's worth noting that these projections all really like Bonte Colson. Yeah, Colson has been very good this year as a senior for that a fighting Irish team. He's shown the maturity and development that you hope for in a fourth-year player. You know, as a senior, he's been able to be efficient and make an impact on both ends of the floor. A great rebounder, and that PER really stands out. So he's been really good and is one of these guys that the advanced stats really show and support that he'll be able to develop into something special. Yeah, last guy we're going to talk about in this forward section is Shakur Justin from UNLV. Not a guy we've really talked about much on here, but junior college transfer from Hutch CC, last year's junior college player of the year, uh, came to UNLV with a, a bit of fanfare. He was getting recruited pretty hard by Kansas and Iowa State, but ultimately ended up next to Brandon McCoy at UNLV. And he's really graded out well in a lot of these areas. His player efficiency rating is great. Elite rebounding numbers. Uh, his defensive rating is great. And his shooting plus passing volume is pretty good. The problem with Justin is... He's got no three-point shooting. He's one for one on three-point shots this year, nothing else. But the good news for Justin is, you know, he's, he's shooting out of the mid-range a little bit, and his form doesn't look terribly broken, but he's also shooting 51% at the line. So he's pretty good in all these areas, but then he's just not shooting at all, which kind of sucks. But I think that he's worth a shot in the second round just to see if you can get him to shoot, because if he starts shooting, he's a remarkably valuable player. He has a super high IQ. He's great off the ball. He rebounds really well. He's a good defender. He just does everything really well. He just can't shoot. I think that he's worth a bet in the second round if you can try to teach him to shoot because this is a guy who grades out really well in all these other areas. Well, Shakur has been a good contributor for that UNLV, UNLV team. Excuse me. He's been an elite rebounder, one of his best skills, and that PER has shown that he's been making a profound impact on that team. There are obviously holes to his game. He's not in that elite company of a first-rounder at this point. That lack of shooting is a big question, and whether you're able to foster that skill or not, I'm not sure because I haven't seen enough You know, him actually shooting 
shooting on volume and whether he can actually find his touch from outside. So that's a big question about him. But outside of that, he's been a really good contributor and he certainly has been putting up some pretty impressive stats. Yeah, just a few other standouts who have graded out well in terms of this. Kevin Hervey from UT Arlington. I really like him. I think he's a top 50 guy in this year's class. Yanti Maton from Georgia, another guy who's really producing as a senior, kind of like Hervey. Mike Dom from South Dakota State, uh, the favorite of the mid-major fans. Dom putting up huge stats over at South Dakota State. Really great player efficiency rating and rebounding numbers for him, but also some sneaky good uh, other areas for him. You know, good three-point volume, good shooting volume, even a little passing volume for him. Chimizi Metu, this is a guy I've kind of soured on. I'm not super high on Metu at this point, but he's still doing pretty well in terms of these stats. Moritz Wagner from Michigan, another guy who's pretty good. And then a few other sleepers from mid-major schools. Anthony Lamb from Vermont, a guy who I liked in the preseason. I don't think he'll come out this year, but he's a guy to track over the coming years. Jalen Henry from SIU Edwardsville. Honestly, had never heard of him before doing some research with these stats, but he grades out pretty well in terms of these indicators. And Zach Thomas from Bucknell, a guy who's a pretty good passer, shooter, and rebounder from the forward spots. So all, all those guys, you know, definitely guys to track. Um, that, that wraps up the forwards. You got anything else you want to say about those guys, Cesar? No, the, all of those guys are really interesting. I still believe in Metu. He's been a good player for that U, uh, USC team, even though the advanced stats don't show it. They've just really struggled with that roster, and they've kind of fallen below our expectations so far. But I think he's still a good contributor and provides a lot for that team. Yeah, Metu, my issue with him is he just kind of floats, and I don't really know what his ultimate role is. I don't know who he defends. And he's just, I, I just don't get what he does at the next level, really. He's a great athlete, and he's got some nice perimeter game, but I don't know where he fits in. He's going to take a really special fit for him to really look good in the NBA. But, you know, I have some hope for him. Next up, we're going to move on to the guards. So I'm going to give out a little disclaimer. This is the one I'm least sure of because, you know, uh, in statistics, you have your R values and your R squareds. Um, the guard regressions all have your pretty low R squared values compared to the regressions that I did for the bigs and the wings and the forwards. So this is probably the one that I trust the least out of all these, but there are a few indicators in here that I do think are pretty important for evaluating guards because these indicators all came up pretty consistently when evaluating guards. So I'll go into them. So the first one with guards, and we'll talk about this one because I think this is an important one to talk about. It's the biggest one across the board is the assist percentage isn't too high. It's There's sort of like a sweet spot with assist percentage, I think, that this stat looks for. And it's somewhere between 20 and 32 as a number for assist percentage. That's kind of the sweet spot. And anything really high, anything above 40 is a problem. And obviously we'll talk about that with Trey Young, whose assist percentage is over 50 right now. But I think where this comes from is due to the sample. And it's not actually due to the fact that assist percentage is bad to have. Um, because with the sample of guards over the past few years, um, everyone knows that it's been a pretty weak guard class outside of the 2017 class, which there's not enough data available to evaluate. You look at guys like Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Kemba Walker, Isaiah Thomas. Those are really your best guards to come out over the past few drafts. And everyone outside of that's been pretty bad. And in college, you guys like Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum had pretty low assist percentages due to the roles they were playing for their teams. Whereas Michael, the guys who have high assist percentages, your Michael Carter Williams, your Kendall Marshalls have all kind of flamed out. I don't think assist percentage is actually bad, but I think the rest of these indicators do all work pretty well. But it is important to note that that is something that's came up. So I think that sweet spot is kind of true. But with guys like Trey Young, I'm willing to make an exception because I'm not going to read into the fact that he has too high of an assist percentage or something and actually dock him for that. So next up, uh, high turnovers per 40 minutes. So I think actually having high turnovers is better because it signifies volume and guys who are handling the ball, who have the ball in their hands. So that's something important to note. 
player efficiency rating, another important one, defensive box plus minus, offensive rating, and three-point makes per 40 minutes. Those are the big ones for guards. And we'll start out with, of course, Trey Young. We'll talk about that. He passes all these with flying colors, obviously. Passes every stat test with flying colors, except for that assist percentage thing, which, again, seems like it's too high. But I'm not going to read too much into that. I, again, I think that that factors do more to the sample with Kendall Marshall and Michael Carter-Williams being bad. I think he's going to be fine regardless of the assist percentage. His DVPM isn't great, but again, I'm not going to read too much into that. No one's drafting Trey Young to be a defensive-minded prospect. Uh, obviously, he has the high turnover volume. He has the three-point makes. He has the player efficiency rating. All those things are great for him. So I'm not too worried about Trey Young, even with that assist percentage. Yeah, Trey Young has been fantastic. Possibly the best player in all of college basketball so no, far. No, not possibly. That is pretty oh, easy to say. Oh, very true, very yeah, true. Yeah. But, well, I'm just talking about the defensive impact. But the fact that he's been able to propel that Oklahoma team so far has been great. Uh, obviously, he has that incredible offensive box plus minus of 14.5. Very good. Has the assist numbers, which kind of is a strange outlier. But we've seen guys with low assist uh, numbers like, you know, DeAndre Russell, like Damian Lillard, like Kemba Walker that have been successful by just creating their own shot. But assist percentage, you know, we're, that's still, we're still on the fence about that one. But he's been able to create for his teammates a lot and has shown that great PER so far. So he's been po easily exceeded everybody's expectations for him and he's looked just as good as everybody expect him to yeah next up Colin Sexton Trey's main competition for the best league guard in this class nothing really elite with Sexton uh, standing out he does have some red flags his defensive box plus minus is pretty low in the negatives now and he has pretty low three point per 40 volume only about 1.8 three pointers per 40 minutes and his low assist numbers he is kind of in that assist sweet spot which is a good thing I guess he does kind of profile similarly to Damian Lillard. They did put up pretty similar college stats. That's kind of been one of the big comparisons for him. So I'm not too worried about Colin Sexton based on this, but he doesn't really stand out in any of these areas that you're looking for with your guard prospects. Yeah, Sexton has been very good this season for that Alabama squad. But the thing that, you know, the stats nerds don't really always support is that he doesn't have that one a standout skill that or you know that facet of his game that says well, no, okay I think he does it's getting to the line but that's not one of the that's true in, that's not for him. you know that's obviously not a criteria but he's been really well rounded so far outside of that defensive box as minus which I think will change in the future he has all the tools and the aggressive mindset to be an elite defender so uh, I wouldn't read too much into that but he has the assist percentage is a very good creator for other players and has the PER to support that he's going to be an efficient lead guard for your team. So he's looked at just as good as everybody expect him to and will hopefully show that he can continue this hot streak. Yeah, and uh, one thing i like to mention with Sexton that is outside the stats. Uh, if you haven't read Coles Wicker's latest piece up on the Stepien, go read that about evaluating draft prospects and you know what to look for off the court as that's such a huge thing to look at. Sexton grades out great in terms of the off the court stuff. You know, just a, a, a Kobe killer type mindset where he's always trying to get better, always on an improving trajectory. That's something that you can't really measure with stats. But the fact is, Sexton's gotten much better year over year. He has that young bull mentality that he's defined himself with. You see it on the court and how emotionally he plays. So I think that that is something that you have to value with Sexton as well, because these guys who stand out off the court generally are improving at a higher level. That's one of the reasons last year I was so high on Donovan Mitchell, put him number seven on my final board. And, you know, I'm looking pretty smart for doing that right now with Donovan Mitchell balling out. The only regret is I didn't have him higher. So I think the off the court stuff is definitely important to evaluate. Next up, 
Shea Gilgis Alexander, a guy who's really been going off lately for Kentucky. His per and offensive rating, kind of mediocre, nothing great there. And his three-point volume is pretty low. So none of those three things are pretty good. But his defensive box plus minus is great. He's in that assist sweet spot. And his high turnover numbers are all really good. And I think that his frame and overall shake is something that really can't be measured. And those are two things that are really great. And so I think that Shea Gilgis Alexander, net positive for him in terms of the statistical evaluation. I'm not worried about him. I think that he's going to grade out well and be a great guard prospect going forward. Yeah, Shea has finally had his time in the spotlight now, really taking that step into being one of the biggest contributors for that Kentucky squad, and he's really shined as their best player for a long stretch now. He's been able to impact the game at both ends of the floor, being able to really bring some uh, juice to that offense as, you know, it's not just running through Kevin Knox anymore, and he provides a lot of those things that you're not looking for, or you, you know, you don't see every Every day shooting really great from outside 45% from three and has the high PER and assist numbers to show that he can be a valuable guard even when you put him into a bigger role so he's been fantastic so far and I'm really glad he's been able to get the shine that he deserves yeah he's just got a really high IQ his shake and ability to get into the lane is really rare he doesn't really have that elite explosiveness or anything but he just knows how to get to the rim that's kind of similar to his cousin Nikhil Alexander Walker who we'll talk about in a little bit. I'm big fans of both the Alexander Cousins, Shea and Nikhil. Next up, Shake Milton, a guy who graded out pretty well too. His assist percentage kind of in that sweet spot. His three-point volume is really good. You know, his player efficiency rating is decent, nothing special there. His offensive rating, though, is pretty good. His defensive box plus minus is good for his position. His turnovers are low, which you kind of don't like to see. You know, he's not really handling that sort of point guard type volume, but that also has to do with how SMU plays. You'll see Jimmy Witt bringing up the ball sometimes, even Dre Foster doing it too, even Ben Amelagu. They, they really mix up ball handlers, and now that Jamal McMurray's back, you have him handling the ball too. So I think that that's part of his role. Shake, again, one of these combo wing guards. There are a few of the guys in the wing section that we're talking about, that will, or excuse me, that we will talk about that are sort of combo guards wings you don't really know where, where to slot them they don't fit into an exact group Nikhil alexander walker short of shea gilge alexander too uh, landry shamit we'll talk about a little bit they all kind of fit into this category andrew jones too they're they're not really primary initiators but they're not really secondary initiators either they're somewhere in between but i think that overall shake milton grades out pretty well by these stats well, Shake has been very valuable for that SMU team, propelling them to a very good start this season. But I think that the stats I've been putting up has been very good. Assist numbers are good, and his defensive box plus minus hasn't been quite what we expected for um, you know aggressive three uh, and D guy that SMU likes to produce. But I think that his numbers have been good so far, and his physical tools only show that he has room to grow from here he looks a good across the board but as we see that he can develop that outside shot and continue to improve that that'll be a great standout skill for him and he does so many things well that he'll have a big time upside and a really high ceiling as he moves on from SMU this season yeah next up Javon Carter the whole world was watching Carter try to hold Trey Young in check and he kind of did, you know, he forced Trey into a bunch of turnovers. When Carter was guarding Trey Young, Trey Young only shot one for seven, turned the ball over two times. So he did a pretty good job on Young, despite fouling him four times. Javon Carter grades out great by all these statistical measures. He's a guy who definitely is someone to watch based on these. His three-point volume and percentage is really good. His assist percentage has spiked from last season. It's now around 36, but it's still in that sort of safe range. And again, I'm not going to penalize a guy for having a high assist percentage. 
His defensive box plus minus and offensive rating are great. His turnovers are nice and high. That shows you that he's handling the ball and having volume. His player efficiency rating is great. So he checks off all these indicator boxes. Obviously, older prospect. Uh, doesn't have amazing size for the point guard position and isn't really the type of offensive athlete that you need to be a prime, true primary initiator. But if you're looking at a guy to be a Patrick Beverly secondary initiator 3 and D type, Javon Carter is exactly the type of guy that you want. And I think he might have a little bit more upside than that based on these stats. So Javon Carter definitely looking great in terms of the stats and the film so far. Uh, definitely the best defensive player in college basketball. So pretty great performance from him so far. Looking great. Well, yeah, exactly. As a senior, he's been able to contribute on both ends of the floor and has been one of the best leaders for that West Virginia team that has quickly cemented itself as one of the best teams in the country so far. I think his defensive box plus minus 6.2 is very good, but I think more than that, he has some room to grow and that I think he projects as even a better defender, just that aggressive mentality and the guy who, who did a great job against the most explosive player in college basketball and Trey Young really held him to a poor shooting performance by his terms. So he's done a really good job when the lights are on him and all the advanced stats show that he can be that very valuable 3 and D guy, even though he doesn't have the great size like of a guy like Shake, he still has all the ability to hit outside shots and is a very efficient offensive player. So he'll be really interesting to watch, and I'm really glad he's flourished for his time at West Virginia. Yeah, he's a guy who I've definitely earmarked as a first-round prospect. He should be going in the first round with the performance he's put up this year. Landry Shamit next up. His assist percentage is in that sweet spot. His turnovers are low, but uh, again, I'm not going to try to penalize a guy for having low turnovers, although I think it's worth noting that Shamit doesn't really do a lot of attacking off the dribble, which is something that's going to hurt him in the NBA. He's not really a penetrator in, in many ways, and he doesn't really create a ton of offense off the bounce, which, you know, that's kind of concerning. He's a nice pull-up shooter, which is good, but he's not really getting to the rim that much. His player efficiency rating is good, though. His offensive rating is absolutely off the charts. It's something like 144. His defensive box plus minus is, you know, decent. And he's got great three-point volume. So Shamit grades out pretty well in terms of this, even though he doesn't really project as, again, uh, a slasher in the NBA. Not a guy who's going to get to the rim a whole lot unless he gets a lot stronger. But he's a guy who can fill a nice role with a high IQ, hit open shots, and play a little bit of defense since he's got some size. Yeah, Shamit has been very good for that Wichita State team so far. He has really put up some great stats and has shown why he was projected as a favor for you know National Player of the Year and why it's so important for him to propel that Wichita State team. Hitting 58%, excuse me, 52% of his threes, very good. Also has a really good defensive box plus minus, even though you don't know him for that. He's been very good on both ends of the It doesn't have like one defense of box response. That's true, but you know, that's yeah. exceeding I mean, my expectations. I think the Shamit's got the size on defense. He's just not very like strong and he, he doesn't really, you know, bring that dog mentality. But I think in the NBA he projects a little better because you know he has that switchable size where he can go across a couple positions. So I think he's gonna be fine on defense. He might not be a plus defender, but I think he can survive on that end. Yeah, he certainly has room to grow, has that good size, but at this pre present uh, state that he's in, he's a really good three-point guy, an elite outside shooter, and I think he can add more uh, facets to his game to improve, but he's looked good in every statistical category so far. Yeah, going to try to run through these next guys pretty quick because we're uh, getting short on time, but uh, Andrew Jones has looked pretty good so far. You know, the three-point volume and offensive rating are good. Player efficiency rating, nice. He's got that assist percentage in the sweet spot. 
His defensive box plus minus is down, but his turnovers are at a pretty decent level. I've always been high on Andrew Jones, and I think that this statistical projection is a good sign for him. Uh, there are t- these two next guys, though. Red alert for these two guys. These are two guys who've looked pretty bad in terms of this projection. First up, Bruce Brown. His volume on three-pointers is bad. His offensive rating is bad. His player efficiency rating is bad. His assist percentage is solid, but his turnovers are low. The only really good thing for him is defensive box plus minus. That's all I can really say confidently about Bruce Brown at this point is that he's going to be, you know, kind of a dog type defender, a guy you can put you can put on point guards and twos and can lock those guys up. But other than that, I don't know that he brings a whole lot because his offense has just really stagnated this season. Yeah, Bruce Brown has been a bit of a disappointment in his second season at Miami. He was projected to be this one-two punch of him and Lonnie Walker, and they've been very good. The Miami Hurricanes, obviously, off to a hot start at 12-2. Uh, and two. Yeah, but they lost to New Mexico State and uh, who's their other loss to? And uh, Georgia Tech. Yeah, Georgia Tech. But I'm saying they were projected as this offensive juggernaut, but they've both been very good on defense. That's where he's been the standout yeah, player. Yeah, they've been pretty terrible on offense. Bruce Brown's offensive rating is like 108, which is pretty low for a major conference guy. That's very true. He's been disappointing. A guy that you expected to be your primary ball handler and a guy who can really generate offense for teammates, but as that, he's been a defensive uh, juggernaut so far, but hopefully he can expand his offensive role and get his mojo back. Yeah, I mean, he's super old for a sophomore, so I mean, I don't really have Brown in the first round anymore. He's a guy who's kind of disappointed me on offense too much. Same with this next guy, Trevon Duval. Make sure you say it right because he made it, went out of his way to correct that it's Trevon Duval is how you say it. Um, his assist percentage and turnovers are in good shape. I think those are you know fine for him. But his defensive box plus minus is bad. He's been not good on defense so far this year. His offensive rating is not good despite Duke being an offensive juggernaut so far this year. His player efficiency rating is bad. And his three-point volume obviously is awful. I've really soured on Duval. I dropped him a number of spots on my latest board. I have him now at number 40. Uh, dropped him down 17 spots from my last ranking with him. So uh, I've pretty much soured on him. I think that he's going to need to come back and prove that he can shoot because guys who can't defend and who can't shoot going forward, I don't know what they bring specifically at the point guard spot. And Duval hasn't done that yet this season. Um, if he can bring it up a level on defense, that'd be great. But he doesn't communicate. He lets guys blow by him way too easily. He's not just not looking good. Yeah, Duval hasn't been the point guard and point general that we expect him to be as a guy who can run that Duke offense. He's been a very good passer, has had that good assist percentage. Getting Marvin Bagley and Grayson Allen involved is a great skill, but as a shooter, that's your, probably your biggest asset as a point guard. A guy who can attack from outside is great, and he has been terrible at that. Shooting 16% from three, which is not good at all, as well as only 63% from the free throw line, so neither of those are very good numbers and he's kind of disappointed as a guy who can create his own shot so if he does come back to Duke hopefully he can refine his offensive skills and work on get creating his own shot outside of just creating for his teammates yeah uh, a point guard who hasn't dropped who's just been continually going up for me next up Jalen Brunson the last guy we're going to detail talk about here uh, his lo- turnovers are low but I'm not going to penalize him for that because he's been outstanding everywhere else his assist percentage in that sweet spot, I think 31.5 for him. His offensive rating is nuts. Jalen Brunson has been unbelievable this year. Defensive box plus minus, not great. Jalen Brunson probably never going to be a pretty very good defender in the NBA, but his player efficiency rating is elite. He has great three-point volume. He's just been ridiculously efficient across the board. He's hitting all these shots. He's scoring inside and outside, getting to the rim a little bit, posting guys up a lot. He's very strong for a guy who stands just 6'2", with a 6'3.5 wingspan. Brunson, 
I think that he's definitely a backup point guard in the NBA. That's why I have him as a top 40 guy. He's a guy who projects very easily to just come in and give you some minutes and play some efficient ball off the bench. Even though he's probably not going to defend ever, he's a guy who's really good on offense. Yeah, he's been fantastic so far for Villanova, shooting 49% from three. Very impressive. On high volume, too. That's, high volume. that's not small volume. He's shooting six threes per 40 minutes, so that's pretty good for him. Yeah, he's been fantastic for that Villanova squad that remains the top top team in the country, so he's looked like the star that a lot of people project him to be so far, and with that offensive box with minus of 11, he is projected as a offensive star on the next level. That outside shot has been really promising so far, so he projects as an elite guy at the next level. Hopefully, you know, I don't expect him to ever be that elite defender, but he certainly can create his own shot and provides a lot of offense yeah, I might have Brunson in the first round by the end of the year if he can keep this up. I really like his game. Just a few other guys to talk about that stand out. Devontae Graham, pretty good across the board. I, I've kind of soured on Graham a little bit since last season, but I'll probably end up coming back on him. I'm going to watch KU play Iowa State tonight, so hopefully you know, I can see him and say, oh, this is what I like about Devontae Graham, but you know, we'll see. Tremont Waters from LSU, almost sure that he doesn't come out this year, but He's a guy to definitely watch over the next couple of years. The only real knock against him is his size. Great, sort of the Trey Young light down there at SLU, uh, excuse me, LSU for Will Wade. He's been awesome so far this year. He's a guy to watch as a backup point guard type over the next couple of seasons. Cassius Winston from Michigan State. Again, another guy who probably won't come out, but he's been great so far this year, hitting a ton of shots from outside. I really like Cassius Winston's game. Uh, two seniors to watch, Trey Holder and Jalen Adams. Trey Holder from Arizona State, Jalen Adams from St. Bonaventure. I would you know, not mind a team taking a bet on either of those guys at the end of the second as a backup point guard type. Both those guys can shoot, put the ball in the basket in a hurry, and pass a little bit. They all check off a lot of these boxes. Lastly, a guy who I wanted to shout out, probably not coming out this year because he's a junior from a mid-major school who hasn't really been getting a lot of buzz, but Tookie Brown from Georgia Southern. Uh, he's definitely a name to watch next year, hitting a ton of shots from outside, passing the ball a little bit, having a huge overall impact. Then his box plus minus is something around 10, which for a small school guy is absolutely huge. Tookie Brown, just, uh, you know, only 5'11", so that's kind of restricting for him going forward. But he's averaging 23 points, 5 assists, and 5 rebounds per 40 minutes on 50% from 3. 10.1 uh, box plus minus for a team that's not great, uh, just 12-5. and five, So not really an elite mid-major team, but Tookie Brown's really carried that Georgia Southern squad. So definitely got a track going forward as a potential bench scorer in the NBA. Yeah, all of those guys have had some very impressive years, and the most notable for me has been Devontae Graham, a big contributor to that KU team, and a guy who we have known to be a solid defender that projects as a great skill for him Him uh, next this year and in the future. Big 12 uh, Defensive Player of the Year last year, so that was great, and he projects as a really good uh, energy guy on offense, has been hitting his outside shots and provides a lot of uh, energy to that KU offense. So he's been good across the board. Doesn't have that standout skill, but has certainly been a valuable contributor. I mean, I think shooting is a standout skill for Devonta. He's really stroking it from out there. He's gotten better every season. But uh, yeah, he's, he's a nice player. Last up is the Wings. This is going to be a pretty huge group because, you know, Wings is the only one of these that really covers two full positions. I consider uh, shooting guards and smaller, small forwards Wings. That's sort of my definition for that, but it's more of like, you know, it, it's subjective. It comes down to each player and what you classify them as. But the biggest thing for wings is a disparity between true shooting percentage and effective field goal percentage. So that's sort of confusing, but you want a higher true shooting percentage and a lower effective field goal percentage. Not that you want either of those to be low, but you want the distance between them to be big. And I think that what that's 
uh, ends up translating to is that you want a guy with higher free throw percentage, which is kind of an easy thing to understand. You know, free throw percentage affects shooting. It's really important to have shooting from the wings, but that's the gist of what it is that's important for those guys. And um, it's also good to have higher true shooting percentage. So higher efficiency overall is a really big thing for wings. Points produced, uh, a cumulative stat. It's, again, it's sort of tough getting into cumulative stats because it hurts guys who play smaller roles, but points produced is a big one for wings. Uh, overall rebounding numbers, big for wings. Steal percentage, that's a popular one. Steal percentage is big for wings. And then high three-point shooting, high three-point volume is important for wings. So all those things, the important skills for wings to have. First guy we'll talk about, uh, the best wing in this year's draft out of the NCAA because important to note, we're only covering the NCAA guys because there's no stats like these for Europe guys at least. I don't know how to get to these, you know, as advanced stats for the European players, and they don't have as high of a volume or sample of playing time to judge them on. But the best wing in the NCAA, the best NBA prospect, Mikael Bridges, he checks every one of these boxes. He's pretty much totally solid as a prospect. I don't see any holes in his game, really. Uh, obviously, you have some people questioning, can he create his own shot off the dribble? I don't care about that. I think he's going to be super valuable, and he's going to continue growing as a player, as he has at Villanova. I'm super high on Mikael Bridges, and he checks all these boxes that you look for in wing indicators. It's great for him. Yeah, Mikhail has been a huge riser this year for that Villanova squad. And as you're talking about, that free throw percentage has been very good for him. 81% this year has been a big step for him, and he's gotten better every year, which is a great indicator of growth. And being able to improve year over year is a great facet for any player. So he's looked really great this year, has improved his offensive production this year on higher efficiency, improving that PER. So he's really looked really Really good and uh, we can't find any major holes obviously you know he's not amongst the elite company of Luka Doncic and DeAndre Aiden and Michael Porter Jr. quite yet but has certainly made a strong case for that top 10 and being the number one wig in this class uh, number one NCAA wing because uh, Luka very Doncic very yeah yeah very yeah, yeah. Um, next up Jacob Evans the third from Cincinnati I love Jacob Evans the third put him 12th on my latest board but his statistical profile as a wing doesn't really stand out his volume from three is only decent his points produced, rebounding, and steal percentage, again, all just about average. Those are all concerning for him. But the thing for Evans is he fits all the guard traits really well. He, he you know, He's in that sweet spot for assist percentage. He has some kind of high turnover numbers. He's got a great player efficiency rating, great defensive box plus minus. Um, when I did a sports reference play index search looking for those guard traits, Jacob Evans actually came up. So the fact that he fits in two different categories is a pretty good statistical indicator for him. So I wouldn't worry about him not really appearing elite in the wing categories, but the fact that he doesn't really stand out in any of the wing areas is a bit of a red flag for him. We're gonna, I'm gonna, says, uh, what I'm gonna start doing is I'm gonna do three guys at a time, and then you can talk about those three guys just kind of quickly. But we're sort of running out of time, so we should uh, just you know try to speed this up a little bit because we have a lot of wings we need to get through. So next up, Troy Brown from Oregon. The gap between true shooting and effective field goal percentage for him is really good. The rebounding for him is really good too, but his three point shooting and three point volume is pretty poor. But the points produced for him a little below average and the steal percentage isn't great and his overall efficiency not great but he does have two pretty good indicators with the gap and the rebounding so those are good for Troy Brown. Nikhail Alexander-Walker uh, a guy I really like. His shooting gap and rebounding are promising especially for like a combo guard wing type. His three-point percentage and volume is good too. His points produced is low but that's due to his minutes. Again one of these cumulative stats it's hard to track based on minutes and then his steal percentage is bad but his overall efficiency is good so I think Alexander-Walker sort of a net positive for him in this regard, I think he overall trends well based on these stats. 
Oh, absolutely. Those are all very interesting guys that we've been looking at throughout the season. And Jacob Evans for Cincinnati has been very good. He's been a contributor across the board and has really made an impact on that team. He's not a guy that obviously has one standout skill, but as a jack-of-all-trades, he projects really well as a contributor at the next level. He can create his own shot to a pretty good degree, a good rebounder, and a guy that can just do a lot of the little things that advanced stats love. So he's been really good across the board, and I'm glad that that Cincinnati team has had him so long. And next is Troy Brown. He's been, he's a otherworldly talent, has a lot of skill, but that Oregon team obviously hasn't been as prolific as they've been in recent years but he looks very good the rebounding percentage for him is good I think he projects as that guy who can grab the rebound and as well as drive it up the floor so that's a great skill for him and as a wing player he looks for his teammates and makes others better so I think he has a bright future ahead of him even though he hasn't been quite a standout this season as many expect him to and then Alexander Walker for Virginia Tech has been very good the rebounding is a good strong suit for him he projects as a guy who can really collect boards at a high rate and has been able to contribute really on offense creating his own look and and playing an efficient brand of basketball yeah i like all those guys uh like you said troy brown hasn't lived up to expectations i uh i picked him as a top five pick next june in our preseason picks podcast probably not the best pick i've ever made but you know i'll own it he's now i think 20th on my board but you know he could work his way back up if he performs well Next three guys I'll talk about. First, Lonnie Walker. This is a red alert. Both of Miami guys just graded out terribly in terms of their statistical projections. His gap between true shooting and effective field goal percentage is bad. His rebounding has been terrible. His three-point volume is good, but his percentage has been bad from out there. His points produced have been low, but again, that's probably product of his role. His steal percentage is lacking, and his overall efficiency is pretty bad. So all the indicators for Lonnie Walker, pretty bad. He's a guy who's kind of not been able to stay on the court. Uh, I scouted him versus MJ Walker for lock draft. But neither of those guys, or mostly Lonnie Walker couldn't stay on the court. MJ Walker, you know, played his regular minute load coming off the bench for Florida State. But Lonnie Walker could not stay in the game. He barely played in the second half. So something clearly, Jim Laranaga doesn't trust him. Uh, we don't know what it is, but clearly something wrong with Lonnie Walker. I don't know what it is, but I would guess he comes back for next season. Jare Foster from SMU, big mover in my latest board, moves him up to, I believe, number 26. Uh, his shooting gap has gotten better since last season because he's improved his free throw percentage. His rebounding is pretty good. His steal percentage is low, which is kind of a question mark. But Foster's sort of a wing-forward combo, so I think that he doesn't have to fit into either one of those areas great. His three-point volume percentage is decent. His uh, points per are actually pretty good, and his overall efficiency is pretty good. And again, he does pretty well in the forward markings. He has a good player efficiency rating. He's a pretty good rebounder. So he's not really elite in any of these areas, but I think he's pretty good overall. And again, Dre Foster's another one of those guys with great intangibles, great off-the-court stuff, has improved really well every year, and especially has a great physical profile, seven foot two wingspan at six foot six. So I love a lot of what Dre Foster brings to the board, even though he doesn't really have those elite statistical indicators. Yeah, Dre has been very good for that SMU team. The thing that has been really lacking in this game is that three-point volume, though. Unlike other guys from that SMU squad, like Shake Milton, like Semi Ojale, he doesn't have that high volume yet. But if he does get that, that'll be a huge step for his game as he's really improved this season. A really good look for that SMU team as they've consistently gotten better and developed good guys. Same thing with Lonnie Walker. He's kind of been disappointing not being able to get that big workload and coming off the bench for this season. 
only a .4 offensive box plus minus, which isn't great for him. He has a pretty good defense box plus minus, but offensively he hasn't been making that impact that you would hope he would be as a guy that can really shoot and has that athleticism that you would think to be a spark plug. So if he does come back next season, hopefully he can have a resurgence and really find his touch again and and find a bigger role. Yeah, uh, lightning round time. Going to run through the rest of these guys uh, just to say whether they stand out or not. So first up, Kyrie Thomas. Uh, just decent based on these indicators. Nothing great for him. But uh, just overall kind of decent. Um, Joshua Kogi stands out pretty well. Good indicators for him based on the wing test. And also you know, has some primary initiator ability if he can grow as a ball handler. I don't think he ever becomes a primary initiator. But he can play with the ball in his hands. Gets to the rim really well. Hamadou Diallo, uh, not great by this measure. You know, he has some things that are good, particularly the rebounding, which has been better than expected. But overall, doesn't really stand out by these metrics. Chandler Hutchison for Boise State stands out a ton, mainly thanks to the fact that his rebounding has been awesome and his points produced are both really high. Um, I really love Chandler Hutchison. I've moved him up. I'm not sure that he's a first-round prospect yet because I think his touch is still a bit of a question for him. But he's really stood out so far this year as a wing, and he's gotten better every year at Boise State. I really value what he brings, especially his positional size and switchability. LeGerald Vick, uh, kind of decent. You know, doesn't really stand out in any of these areas. I'd probably put him a little below average in terms of the stat test. Raleigh Alkins uh, hasn't played very much this season, so it's hard to take away since he's only played seven games. I don't really want to use the sample for him, but he's just kind of been decent in the seven games he's played based on these stats. Josh Reeves from Penn State has been sort of below average by the wing test, but like Nikhail Alexander-Walker and Jacob Evans, he's sort of caught between the wing and initiator profile. He has pretty good numbers for the guard spot, so I'm not going to read too much into Reeves' number being low here because he fits into either the initiator or wing profile. Sort of a ball handling two is what he projects at the next level. Melvin Frazier from Tulane has been awesome according to these stats. He's a guy who you should definitely watch. He's a freak athlete. If he was shooting more threes, he would definitely be really close to the first round for me. Just... He has some solid percentage from out there, 37.5%, but he's only shooting about four per 40 minutes. I want to see him up his volume from out there, but other than that, he's been great this season. Zaire Smith, uh, Zaire Smith, the Texas Tech freshman who's jumped out of the water earlier this year after just being a three-star recruit. Him and Jarrett Culver made huge impacts off the bench for that team. I think Smith's a better NBA prospect because his free throw percentage is better and he's a much better athlete, but Jarrett Culver is a guy I know a lot of people like. Zaire Smith has graded out really well by this test too so far, playing in limited minutes. So all those guys have been pretty great. Do you have anything you want to say about all those guys, Cesar? Well, my favorite of that group is Josh Okogie. Obviously, he had his his game of the season against Miami a few days ago. 30 points on high efficiency and has really stepped up his game since being suspended for from Georgia Tech this season. So, Or if in the beginning of the season. So he's been really fantastic. A guy that projects as an elite defender. Has that crazy 7-foot wingspan and that athleticism and aggression. Man, you can't teach that. So he's a special talent and he's quickly rising up on my board yeah any of those other guys you want to talk about stand out to you uh well josh reeves for penn state i think that he the stats don't show it but i think he's really made a jump this year and has shown that he can be a valuable contributor for that penn state team a really good uh overall guy that he does the little things for that squad so he'll be interesting to watch and see what moves he can make for the rest of the season yeah, Josh Reeves, uh, between, again, him, Mike Watkins, and Tony Carr, those are three legit guys that Penn State has. That's really exciting for them. 
All right, before we finish up, other standouts by that wing test, um, the guys who stand out based on that statistical profile. So first off, Keita Bates-Diop was one of the guys who stands out based on this. So the fact that he stands out so well in the forward and wing column should tell you everything you need to know about him. I love him. Moved him up to 16. Move him up to 16. Move him up to 1 on your board. I don't care. But get on the Keita Bates-Diop train right now because the stats love him. The film loves him. He's awesome. But the other standouts... John Conchar from IPFW, definitely a guy to track. I think he could end up grad transferring, and that's what I want him to do is grad transfer next year and move to a high major school where he can show off against better competition more consistently. That'd be the best role to evaluate him in. Kenrick Williams, I don't really love the film with Williams. I think he's more of a stat guy than a film guy, but he's a guy who's definitely popped in some different stat categories, so that's important to watch. Isaiah Reese from Canisius. This is one of my dudes. I love Isaiah Reese. I've been sticking him at the end of my big boards lately to make sure everyone gets to see him. I put him at 75 on my latest update from Canisius. If you don't know who he is, go watch him. He's a ball handling wing at 6'5", who's actually pretty athletic and can really shoot from outside and off the dribble. His defensive numbers are pretty nice. He gets a ton of steals. Um, definitely go check out Isaiah Reese. A bit old for a sophomore, but other than that, he's awesome. I really love Isaiah Reese. You should definitely check him out. And lastly, Jacoby Boykins. I've always liked him. Old for a senior. Uh, hasn't Isn't super consistent, but fits a lot of these test marks that you like to see, so that's good for him. Yeah, all those guys have been very good. John Conchar having a standout year and has really upped his game so far. Same with Isaiah Reese, a st- statistical darling, a guy that advanced stats people really love, and that's a reason why he stood out for us so far. But he's having a standout season and has been looking good as ever. Yeah, don't get me started on Isaiah Reese because I could go for a while, but definitely go check out his statistical profile and try to watch one of those Canisius games because he's great. Tekel Molson, another freshman for them, is a guy who I think could develop into an NBA prospect down the line. He can shoot a little bit. He's a pretty good athlete. I really like Molson. So him and Isaiah Reese, those are two guys that I really like. Canisius has been kind of a surprise squad in the MAAC so far this year. Uh, got off to a good start in conference play. So definitely go check out a Canisius game if you have the all the time in the world because, you know, not everyone has time to go watch a game of Canisius. But that's that's what we do because we love the draft. We go watch Canisius games because, you know, we got to check out all these guys. And we'll be back next week. We're going to be doing some big board talk. I just updated my big board. Cesar is coming up with the top 60 list right now. So we're going to discuss big boards next week, and we'll have that coming to you soon. Be sure to go leave those five-star reviews on iTunes. Cesar, you got anything else before we finish up? Man, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Keep leaving those five-star reviews, and we appreciate the support. See you all next week.